You are listening to a production of the Toll Network. This is Laser Knees number 71. When life gives you Lyman, I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono. And this is the Sentai Lupin Ranger versus Police Sentai Pot Ranger, episode 23, Status Gold, and 24, A Promise to Return Alive. Our writer for both was Komura Junko. Our director on 23 was Watanabe Katsuya, and for 24, it was Nakazawa Shojiro. Well, Sona, why don't you, uh, I think these were some pretty good episodes. What about you? Yeah, no, they were, I'm quite surprised. Yeah, same, actually. Uh, so why don't you start us off with our overview? Okay, so episode 24 means we've hit roughly the midway point of Lupin Ranger versus Pot Ranger. And at the moment, we're pretty well entrenched in the chunk of the show where our established cast bonds with their new teammate. And it's going surprisingly well. Maybe I'm still, like, scarred by President Hot Wings, or maybe it's that I'm re-watching Goanger and dreading us getting to the Goan Wings because I can't stand them. But I'm actually pretty pleased with how Kamura is integrating Noelle into the Lupot family. And, you know, keeping with our theme of Komura learning from her work on Zuoger, as fond as we were of Masao, I remember us finding a lot of episodes about him and, you know, the actual construction of his narrative arc and what it was seemed to be trying to say to be kind of questionable a lot of the time. Yeah, especially once they got to the, like, hey, what's his actual secret origin? And it is yeah. creepy as hell. yeah. Um, so, again, it feels like this time Komura seems to have learned. And she did write a handful of Guy's episodes in Gokaijer, uh, notably the Gingaman episode, which was Guy's first non-Arakawa episode. It's three episodes after he first shows up, uh, so it's his first two, and then the Dawn episode, and then this episode that Komura's written, uh, where he's with the one guy from Gingaman hanging out in the woods, um... And that was a pretty sweet episode, I think. Hmm. It's been a while. Um, I remember it being pretty sweet, though, yeah. But, you know, putting together someone else's pieces into one thing is a lot different from having to make your own pieces and then have them fit together. And Komara's had some fumbles, and she's had some fumbles in Lupot, but, you know, not... I'm willing to cut her some slack. You know, Zuoja was the first time she was leading a project, and she definitely seems to have grown from it and is still growing on working on Lupot. And she's got a definite narrative voice that she's figuring out how to express. And I think that's worth applauding. Because that's hard. It really is. And gotta write bad things before you can write good things. Sad and so true. I also think it's interesting that 24 itself actually has very little to do with Noelle. And is all about the focus on uh, Kairi and Tsukasa. Which, you know, one, it's rare that once we step into the uh, Sixth Ranger Befriends Everyone bubble, uh, we don't really step out of that until he has spent an episode with pretty much everyone. And also, Kairi and Tsukasa aren't characters that I expected Komura to try and relate to each other. I didn't expect... Like, they, they didn't seem like characters who'd have an episode together. Not really, But... No. but you know, they did, and it was actually really, mostly really sweet and charming. And I'm kind of just rambling in a lot of directions, but I think what it comes down to is, it's that it's nice that Komura, as a writer, is definitely kind of taking shape and finding her voice. It is nice, because, I mean, we've had our conversations, both on the air and off, 
about how there's some writers who are really great at episodes, but only kind of so-so at running stuff, and of course, vice versa. So, seeing how much more powerful and confident Kimura's been this season, well, really, like, from episode one, out the gate, she was so good. And it's been really nice, because, I mean, again, dear listener, uh, if you listen to our Zhuoger coverage, like, I don't think we hated it, but there were definitely stretches where we're just like, guys, just stop, because uh, it was, well, it was what it could have been. Zhuoger ended up being very middle of the road. Yeah, it's which is really a shame, but also a thing that happens. Though, man, I miss Bungley, man. That guy was great. Anyway, uh, lest we just get going on how we would have fixed Zhuoger, I'm just going to get into into my main overview things, because as, as, as far as us talking about these two episodes go, there were two things that really jumped out at me as, as like the main theme of each episode. Uh, the, uh, one being about finding empathy for people you might not have s- suspected you'd want to have empathy for, and also the importance of keeping up a degree of professionalism in what you do. Um, I'm going to leave the former aside and just say that I really appreciate when a show can talk about being able to find some pride and personal fulfillment in a job done well in a manner that doesn't also feel like, hey kids, learn how to better serve your corporate masters. Empty yourself of any personal desire or fulfillment outside of a paycheck and a job where you're constantly made to feel less important than the microwave. Uh, I'm not bitter. Yes, I am. Because look, it, it may come as no surprise that I'm not big on the whole devote yourself to your job thing, but at the same time, I feel quite passionately about the importance of the creative drive and and episode 23, because, hey, you talked about 24 a little, I'm going to talk about 23 a little. In between the monster fights, we talked a lot about that concept of personal fulfillment in a really mellow way that really spoke to my black and withered cynical excuse for a heart. Because Ushibarak, that dude just wants to learn how to better his craft and to test himself against acknowledged masters. Or maybe not masters, but at least people who understand the craft well enough to teach it to others. Toma's pride in his abilities as a chef, indeed, as the only one at Café Jurer who can cook, or at least who we ever see cooking, uh, is plain to see not only because his fiancée taught taught it to him, but also because he enjoys it, and he's good at it. And this joy, which does not let him, which has not yet earned him a pile of money, is is being treated as equal to the passion that Noah that Noel, who's some kind of like curator engineer, has for his craft, which is of course the care, upkeep, and occasional upgrading modification of the various pieces of the Lupin collection. And I'm just over here being over the moon, seeing an artistic and creative passion in an art form that is rarely the thing that that like really serious. And and hard thinking, uh, which is all stand-in talk for fascist uh, sorts, want as part of the the new masculine market-based curriculum because it's women's work. And so you know when they take out all of the the art and music and home ec classes because they just reading, writing, arithmetic, and literally nothing else because that's a thing people still think is a good idea here in the year of our Lord 2018. Sorry, sorry, I'll, I'll get back to the show. But it's it's just nice to see that cooking gets treated e- as equally noble and worthy as a creative passion, as does engineering, which, you know, it 
it basically saying like these things aren't about like cooking is women's work and computers are man mm, technology it's just yeah these things are creative passions and those are things you should pursue if you enjoy pursuing them because yeah follow your passions embrace them they are beautiful things in and of themselves they are crafts worth taking seriously and working to improve them for their own sake is a worthy thing to do and um that's that's sort of my ramble this week i just i like that we don't like they they don't treat one as frivolous because honestly a lot of times you, you'd see people in adventure shows talk about art of any kind and it's always find a reason to put it aside so that you may do violence better and it's not even like it's an episode about learning that you know no. it's just as good it's from the off he's just like mm, yeah no you're really good at this yeah i need someone who is really good at this and now I'm going to see that, oh, yeah, not only are you really good at it, you love it, and I respect that. And and they just, honestly, I, I know I'm, we're going to talk about it a little later, because that's how our notes work, but just the whole thing of what what is it that brings these two together as comrades, if not friends? It's, I see that you have a deep-down respect for your craft and a competency for it. Very well. I will not kill you when I have the chance. Just it's it's that it's it's that sort of archetypical uh the the samurai thing where it's like you know they just both stand at at either side of the bridge and they just look into each other's eyes and then just one moves just gets out of the way of the other. What happened? I thought you guys were gonna fight. We did. He is the superior swordsman. How do you know? Game recognized game, son. I don't know if that's a thing anyone actually said. TV assures me that they did, but I just it's. It's a good summation, because that's what happened there. Just, hey, what's up? You're a craftsman who takes your art seriously? Cool. Me too. I, I may not trust you. I will trust your dedication to the work. Because, um, like, you can't, you may not necessarily be able to trust every rando creative you meet on the internet, because a lot of people out there just talk a lot of crap about how you got to be vicious and step over people and not create and not be part of, like, a larger artistic community that cares about like stealing or plagiarism but you you should care about those things and if you see someone who's better at you than the thing learn what you can from them it's i've i've i spent so much of my time in like just looking at trying to find the philosophies of writing i'm clearly not always great at it on this show because i i do i do ramble but like i know it's it's that it's the 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 thing where you know just enough to know how much you don't know. <laughs> and it's painful, but every now and again I'll see people like, I hate this. I hate that person because they're so good. And it's like, no, I'm mad that they're so good, but I love that they are. Like Shoaikawa, I have I have said this, like I've, I've had so many discussions about this with my partner. Uh, Shoaikawa's Concrete Revolutio, which has a flawed ending, but the ride up to it, I spent so much time just after the episode just shooting up off the couch, just like, I'm so angry this is so good! Because <laughs> it's it's in that... You ever... Okay, I'm sorry that this is going on, but Sono, have you ever seen a thing where it's like, no, that's in my wheelhouse. That's the sort of thing I do? And this is not written so spectacular... This is not structured so spectacularly well that I couldn't have done it, but I would never have done it like this. And I hate that because I want to. 
like that that was the entire experience of concrete revolution it's just like oh no he's talking about like superheroes and responsibility and and like doing it in a cool like two different time frames that slowly create context for one another so he's he's telling like eight stories but they all intertwine and they all interconnect and they're all they all converge admittingly again in the end not in the most elegant way but they all converge in a way that makes sense and is actually quite good and i'm just like ooh, i hate this I don't hate it, I love it, and I want to dissect it so I can learn from it, instead of just... I hate that I didn't do this. Exactly. I'm mad that, like, I'm watching this and I have no idea where it's going, even though this is touching on so many things I want to do. And, like, that's the thing I want, as opposed to, like, a lot of the times you'll just see, like, yeah, I just took that guy's stuff and I just traced it, it's fine. It's the internet. Nothing matters. You, it was fan art anyway. Like, why are you getting mad? You didn't. You didn't invent that thing. That's not the point. <laughs> like, even if it's not illegal, it's it's not nice. It's not cool. Not even not nice. It's just not cool. Like, people don't do that because like, you're not disrupting the economy. You're being a jerk by breaking social norms. <laughs> like, hey, Uber. Like, I'm not saying Uber's a terrible idea, because cabs are really not cheap. Though they're cheaper than that now. Oh, really? At least in my area. Nice. Well, I mean, a lot of the reason Uber was as cheap as it was is because it was getting a ton of government subsidies, but it never told you about that. <laughs> I wonder why. Because, uh, what, another corporation that wants to get rich by exploiting labor laws? What? No. <laughs> I mean, it's not like a lot of Walmarts will straight up give you the forms to apply for food stamps on your way in when you get the job. Just like, here, you're going to need food assistance because we sure aren't going to pay you enough. Which is another way of saying they are having the government subsidize all of their employees. Wow, hey, take a drink. Because <laughs> was just totally went on a short screen about labor politics. Huh. Anyway, we should probably just get on to the show and the things we didn't... Let, let's start with things we didn't like so we can get to the things we like. Stop me before I rant again. The show brings out so much in me, Sono. Good tokusatsu brings out so much. It's, it inspires passions. It, it just gets my whole soul bubbling. And I mean, like, look, this one is very about infrastructure and people relating to infrastructure. Yeah. And each other, and all, all sorts of really good, complicated... Anyway, Usona, why don't you start us off before I get going again? Okay, so this isn't so much a complaint as something that I think would have been a fun visual gag. Uh, we see Toma giving his cooking class, and it's like five housewives and a shonen anime villain. <laughs> and I just outright was like, okay, well, there's the gangler. But in the scene earlier in the episode, or the previous episode maybe no it was earlier in the episode Ushibarak doesn't talk he doesn't say anything and I think it would have been a fun twist on expectations if Ushibarak had been a woman and been one of the housewife looking ladies taking the lesson and that guy was just a punk who really loved cooking agree it was a massive wasted opportunity which I mean like look you know it's not a complaint but it is definitely a thing I think we can safely say we both did not like. It, it's not, like, is it a thing that will sink the show? Certainly not. 
Yeah, I, I mean, just... like, it wasn't even that bad. It's like, okay, yeah, he's the gangler. But was... it just, it would have been neat if, like, when he runs up and he's like, oh, sensei, th- this was so good, blah, blah, and then, like, the lady comes up and is like, oh, yeah, and that's why I'm gonna take you. And... Exactly! Because it's, I am sad at how often, and it's a thing we're gonna see in, when we talk about 24, gangler, you guys aren't even trying to hide it. I want there to be one gangler who knows how to hide. I want it to turn out like DeGranio. He's just he's just like this one really mellow salary man. Just like every every now just walks by and he's been secretly in the background this whole time, but we've just never noticed him because he's just that nondescript and like, no he's, one knows. He's just him. one of the extras at Jurer. Yeah. He loves to go he loves to go eat there. Why? Because it's good food. And if he has his way <laughs> there won't be any humans alive to make this kind of good food for much longer. Also, I, I guess Good Striker lives with Noelle now? I mean, I guess that's reasonable since, like, they're besties and Noelle probably gives Goody, like, the best feeling. Because hmm. Goody loves Noelle best. But it's super jarring, that bit where Noelle just pulls him out of nowhere and is like, Hey, go get the others. And I'm yeah. like, he wasn't, he wasn't here. Yeah, that was really odd. I like Goody might like Noel, but he's still a free spirit, yo. I'm I'm guessing it's just one of those things where they just don't want to animate him coming in to save time or money. But I mean, come on, Go- no, Goody just flies around because that's what Goody do. Also, Gooey sucking food up through the plague doctor beak was gross, and I'm upset that I had to see it. Fair, fair, because yeah, no, I I didn't like it. I still like- I don't mind Lyman's mouth moving. Like, that animation did not like Gooey sucking up a giant five-pound meatball through the the skinny little Plague Doctor beak. Didn't yeah, like it. That was that was Up- weird. Upset I, that I had to look at that. Just honestly, like, let it open. He's a kiwi. Just, like, open it like a, like a bird does. Anyway, just also just, just sort of, like, talk about some stuff in 24. And, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't remember Gooey talking at all in 23? I no, I don't think I don't think either of them talk when we first see them like at Dogranio's. I think Lyman is the only one that talks. Yeah. And then Giwi like doesn't talk at all when they're they're eating the food. Yeah, but it's it was weird cuz in 24 he's like he's maybe not exactly a chatterbox, but he talks a lot during the episode and it's just one of those like, "Oh, hey, you can talk." Huh? Sort of things. Anyway, but uh, speaking of 24, why don't you lead us into that one? I guess the real major thing in 24 is Tsukasa's relationship to her grandfather. And we don't get a whole lot of information, so I'd love to see, like, another episode that's about her and her grandfather and kind of me wrong on this. Um, But it's that problem where the parental figure is, like, super tough on a kid to, like, try and to quote-unquote do what's best for them, but are super strict and, like, to the point where the kid resents them for it, only to have the parental figure, like, show they care because something happened, and then the child in the situation is like, oh, I guess they loved me all along, and it was for my own good, and everything is fine now. Yeah, no, I'm with you, because... I, I understand that there's probably a level where they're being asked not to upset too many apple cards by saying, "Hey, by the way, what your what your parents are doing to you is bad and awful, and you should call someone." Even though I I'm given to understand that Japan doesn't really have a concept of child protective services as 
in the same way we do in the states. So anyway, yeah, I don't, I don't believe it's quite the same thing. But I mean, just, just like we didn't, we didn't see a whole lot of their relationship. But she, she's like, oh yeah, like he was, he trained me to be tough, and he was super strict and didn't, yeah, like didn't pull any punches, and I resented him for it. And I'm like, okay, well. I mean that's fair. Were there were there any good times before you like bit that guy? No, I just I don't know. It's it's one of those things where different cultures have different familial norms, and I'm not I'm not. Please understand, I'm not doing a judgment on the whole culture or anything, dear listener. Just on this trope, but it's I don't know. At the same time, this wasn't even the common writer ghost thing of showing the bad parenting and then putting it in the context of the parents' life, which like one on the one hand is actually kind of a like that's a fair thing to do because you know i my dad is not a like my parents are not bad parents please understand but there were times where the relationship got rocky and it's like i look back from the vantage point of an adult and it's like okay they were they were like in their 20s and early 30s dealing with a kid who has the issues i had and it's like okay a lot of things actually make a little more sense so, like, that's on the one hand, but on the other hand, to get back to Ghost, it is, like, Ghost, even as they tried to do that, their message sometimes went a little closer to, went, ah, forgive me, uh, the message they were trying to do was, look, forgive them because they had it rough, as opposed to, like, a more nuanced, uh, look, they, these bits here were bad, but they were doing their best in a certain context with bad information, and maybe just include that in your emotional calculus when deciding how to relate to them. Which, admittingly, is a very difficult thing to portray to an audience of children, but at the same time, it's... Like, look, if you're going to have complicated relationships with parental figures in the show, it needs more than, here's a flashback and now we're done, or it, it falls flat at best, or kind of at worst, it makes... It, it feels like it's trying to make the kid feel like they should feel bad for being upset when someone who has power over them harms them. And and a lot of people had that criticism of Ghost, and like, this feels like it's going a little in that direction, even though, please understand, I know that's not what they mean to say. But also, that's a really messed up thing, and, and like, a really unfair thing to put on a little kid, because, yo, know, yeah, a little kid gonna be upset when, like, their grandparent just shouts at them all the time and makes them do martial arts drills. Yeah, you're gonna get distant from that guy. Why? Because that guy's no fun for a little kid. A little kid isn't meant, isn't built to do most of those things, which, like, admittingly is probably the point of all of the discipline training and whatnot, but, like, it's... I'd be fine with, you know, him being a police officer, and because Tsukasa admired him, she wanted to be a police officer too, and that's why he was training her to fight, mm. which is kind of where I thought that flashback was going, when she said he was a police officer. Same, yeah. I'm like, oh, that's that's kind of what put you on that path, and you know, as you got older, it was more about having a steady job, that reasonable, reasonable. Fair, yeah. But then she's like, oh, but he was super tough on me doing this thing that I didn't really want to do, and so I resented him and didn't talk to him. Like, to That's the fair. point that she was maybe, like, eight when, in that first part of the flashback. Really and she young, would have yeah. been, she would have been, like, somewhere between 15 and 17 in the other part of that flashback. So, you know, about ten, there's about a ten year gap 
where she's like, oh yeah, I just didn't talk to him. You know, this large chunk of her child. So what exactly pointed her toward following in his footsteps? Or at least, you know, just take out the line where he was a cop. Because otherwise, it's, you bring that up, and it's like, oh, well, she's also a police officer. There has to be some kind of line there. Why not just give them a healthy relationship? Like, Kyrie's relationship with his brother seems healthy, even if Kyrie feels kind of overshadowed by how great he thinks his brother is. Why not have Tsukasa's relationship to her grandfather more closely mirror that? Have her want to live up to how cool and tough her grandfather always seemed when she was growing up. And have her be insecure about whether or not she's reached that point. Or even better, have her, you know, have once been insecure, like when she was in training and stuff. But now that she's a pot ranger, she feels really confident as like, yeah, I've lived up to the kind of person he made me want to be. Like, overall, I found this episode to be really sweet and... A lot of the things that came from this information in the context of the present and how she related to Kyrie, I really enjoyed. But man, I'm just exhausted with this era of tokusatsu wanting to normalize some borderline unhealthy family relationships. Yeah, agreed. Because, and look, like, even if we wanted to keep Grandpa was a massive toolbox thing, like, you can have their relationship still be rocky. But she can say some stuff like, again, just just to add that nuance. Hey, look, I understand that he, I understand he's from a different time where times were a lot tougher because that would probably be like during the Reconstruction era, and that was a pretty rough period. And and you know, she can say like, yeah, she understands like it was a different time, and he left all the raising of the kids to his wife, so he's not so good at it, and this was the only way we could communicate and I did not understand that that was him reaching out or, or you, know, you can just you can put these in a way where we can have the unhealthy relationships without saying like yep well you know it'll it'll make you better because that's awful because <laughs> like I just I can't think of anything that'll romanticize a bad notion like having it be a superhero's origin story you know like like ah uh, well hey, you know, the upside of your parents being brutally murdered in front of you is that you can empty out your entire life and turn yourself into a vengeance machine. Like, that's... I don't... That doesn't actually sound very good at all. No, that, that's probably not something you should do. Yeah, but, I mean, again, I know it's superhero stuff and it's all a little weird, but more nuance in my, in my children's adventure show family relationships or don't freaking bother. Sorry. Let's move on. Okay, so um, the the club that Gui is running is maybe the most garbage club I've ever seen. <laughs> like, Jake was running better parties in Forza. Yeah. Like, no. okay, I guess maybe he had two, three days at best to get this scheme going. So, I don't know, he probably couldn't shop around for a venue. But haven't the Gangler kind of been all about flair? And especially, like, this group is like, oh, we're big shots in the Gangler. Like, this is a concrete room with a disco ball and, like, zero lights. Like, man, he'd better give me a pendant that'll get me a million bucks in the lottery if I have to spend two or three hours in this dump. True that. Also, as Kyrie's, like, walking through the club... The camera's following him, and then it stops, and he walks off. 
and it stops on a poster on the wall that says Villains Party. And, like, it's not even a cool-looking poster. It's just a blue poster with yellow letters on it. Like, Giwi, are you even trying? Okay, Did you try at all? First of all, we had best hear about that villain party again later on. I mean, everything that's going on in the Gangler is a villain party. Yeah, that's true, but... This is Dogranio's birthday party. That's true, but at the same time, I just... I want there to be an episode where we see an actual party with a bunch of villains, preferably... Like, in a crossover special or something, so that they can bring in old Sentai villains for the villain party. Always always give me old Sentai villains. Yeah, like, preferably have it be, like, uh, all the ones Hammy's bringing in for that uh, for the villain Sentai for, in the Q-Ranger movie. I don't know how that went, because I think that movie's out of theaters. I have no idea what happened in it, but I'm just like, look, yeah, just have her bring uh, everyone's favorite spicy boy and melee and like they, they um, can come and make the villains party cooler put escape in it let someone else write her yes let her actually you know be a person finally but, but okay to get back to the actual episode as it's happening um given how Giwi is kind of the most obviously villainous club owner ever like he just he looked like everybody if you go down to Central Casting and say, hey, what's a what's a villainous club owner look like? Like, they just pull out a photo of exactly this dude. I just, like, to get back to, to answer your earlier question, Sono, no, he is not trying at all. He's just nothing. He's not working anything out. Probably because he's got one of the coolest uh, bits of the collection. But still, like, no, he's not putting any effort in. Because, especially to go back to earlier, our earlier complaint... I was thinking, I was really hoping, not thinking, I was hoping he'd turn out to be the lady. Because, again, the club owner looks like central casting's just like, I don't know, he looks like this. Just have him be the lady. That'd be great. Especially since she wasn't talking that whole time, and I spend most of that episode like, well, Kiwi didn't talk in the previous episode. I guess maybe, so that lady has an even better chance of being Kiwi. That'd be great. It, it make him a more sinister figure who, like, is already super weird and creepy with what with being bright green kiwi fruit plague doctor who wears... Uh, okay, they're big eggs on his shoulder pads. Those are baby versions of himself. That'd be like if I wore sculptures of babies on my shoulder. That's weird. It's just, he is so creepy. I mean, honestly, I thought the lady was going to be gauche. Oh man, that would have ruled. Because, like, Giwi hands this lady his money. The dude pays for the thing, and he just hands the money to the lady. I mean, I guess the, he doesn't need human money, so whatever. Well, they still, but like, like, he, well, he, they clearly need some more human money, so they can put some better lights in this garbage club. I mean, clearly. But, like, who is she? Was she one of the portermen? I mean, I guess Gauche is way too good to dress up as a human anyway. Like, True. she would she would not. Like, she if you suggested it to offended. her, she would kick you into next week. But, like, who was that lady? I, I kind of hope she... And why did Giwi give her his money? I, I just hope she comes back and, oh, it turns out she was a crime boss this whole time. And one the Pat Rangers never arrested because, look... She's a little bit outside their jurisdiction, what with just being a human. And also, come to think, having the completely plausible excuse for all the 
heinous crimes she does wink while under his control wink because i mean is there a better excuse than okay he's a scary interdimensional plague doctor monster and he wanted to use my completely legitimate businesses and have me hang around to be the face of it um i didn't have a lot of choice he was going to murder me from another dimension like i think fujiko mine right <laughs> that would totally be a fujiko thing and then they're just like oh we can't get her and she's like no you can't bye and she's just dragging this massive cartoon santa claus sack of money behind her <laughs> nope this is all legit it's fine didn't you get that all from the from the the evil dealings with the guy what no i have receipts for all of this money i laundered it very thoroughly wait did i say that out loud crap throws it on the bike broom <laughs> I love Fu. I love Fujiko so well. Fujiko is except when she's written badly, good. man. Like, yeah. Watch the first couple episodes. Well, the first episode, duh, of of Pink Jacket Lupin. Uh, first, the most '80s opening ever. Oh my god! But like, Fujiko just they, at least in the first episode. Maybe she gets better later. They sort of treat her like his his hanger on girlfriend. I'm like, no. Guys are bad. Oh man, Fujiko's too good for that. Yeah, no. Like the only way that that should ever end is like in the last episode, she just takes the ultimate big score. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. Did you think anyone would like just fawn on you like that, Lupin? You think far too highly of yourself. Bye. Because uh, Fujiko Mine's superpower is every like every time you hear the bad guy say, "Ah, you are powerless to do anything to stop me," I'm like, oh, you're already dead. Oh my, Washinderu. Bye. Okay, so Zamigo finally decided to show up again. Finally. And honestly, yeah. like, he's done so little across literally half the show that I feel like we might be better off without him. Mm. Like, just have Ghosh or Destro or even Degranio be the one who killed a bunch of people. And it's all building towards fighting them. Because we're building towards fighting them anyway mm. like we're just in so deep now and zamigo has shown up maybe like three times total we barely know his deal he's not doing anything interesting like what's the point of him yeah i mean first off yeah that is a very 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 good question and one the show really should have answered by now especially since he's in the freaking opening explain it show us uh, second, though, like I do wonder if this isn't a thing where we that we might expect from Kimura Helm seasons, because I, I seem to recall there being a lot of weird timing with the, some of the villains in in Juoju as well. Some of the reveals just hit at weird times. I mean, look, I love Bungle, but some of the timing and handling, just overall theming on him, just it got weird and weirdly timed, and maybe that's just a thing she's still working out. I don't know, like, Zamigo feels a lot more like Bard, except this time he's a villain. Actually, yeah, that like, is, yeah. Like, he'll show up randomly every six to eight episodes, and never explain what's going on with him, but he has this major impact on the plot that doesn't really feel like it's gonna pay off any better than it did with Bard. No. Because, like, half the show has happened, and we don't know what this guy is for. Yeah, and he's supposed to be, like, what the show is. Or at least a good chunk of it. He's he's the inciting incident. 
Yeah, like he's he's supposed to be Bosco. Yeah, uh, like and I'm... like I know I know Komura knows what was up with Bosco because she worked on that show. Yeah, like honestly, I just have to imagine a lot of it is maybe they just can't afford that dude. He's got like a play he's doing. Toei is not great at securing those exclusivity deals, which is a shame. Like because he's a good dude, they should use him more. Honestly, yeah, I'd have to I'd have to really like look him up and see well I don't I don't even want to know right now because it, it'll be this because this might like you brought up Bard and it's like I don't know what Su- what uh, Kusaka was doing but for whatever reason he just wasn't in the show this one one data point is a data point two is a line three is a pattern we aren't at three yet but this is a cons- this is working toward being a pattern with her which is just a shame because He's a good actor, he's an interesting character with an interesting hook. Just let him do the thing. Good at the thing. Really like how he does the thing. But, I don't know. I just like that actor, because, I swear, like, I don't know what kind of reception Kikaider reboot got. It was not good enough. I mean, he doesn't seem to be doing anything else right now, from what I can tell. Then, I don't know who to blame. Someone is to blame, and they should be blamed. Because just, where... Where is he? Yeah, I mean, the only thing I'm really noticing is uh, on the on the back wall, we see that same logo that we saw for like a second the last time Zamigo popped up, and I I didn't know what was up with it then. Well, I mean, Zamigo was Zamigo helped him fund the club. Yeah. So, but like, I don't. What is the they they're like? Oh, he just likes going around looking like a human. Ha ha, Zamigo. And I'm like, what is the point? Yeah. What is this building to? Yeah. Just get. Just let me know what we're going towards, you guys. Can can they just can they just have another fight with him? That like that'd be good. Like he should just show up occasionally and have fights with the Lupins. I expected that once. Noel showed up, he would become a bigger deal, and he hasn't. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I figured that these guys who were, you know, just sort of here to be three episodes of Mooks getting deaded are, like, gonna lead up to him, but it's like, guys, you don't need it. He's he's already cool. And also- We already want to know. You don't have to- you don't have to sell us on him again. Yeah, you're really burying the lead, you guys. You don't- just have him be just sitting at the- at the far end of the table while Lyman is- you know, just sort of, like, hanging out, introducing himself to everyone at the head of the table, and just, oh, hey, there's Amigo at the, bo- at, the, at the foot of the table. Why is he so far away and just sitting there quietly eating his ice and staring at everyone like a weirdo? Mm-hmm. He's just, he's creepy. Uh, and these guys answer to him. Anyway, let's, let's get to the good stuff, because this is, this is just a rabbit hole of, of mild frustration. And I don't... I want, I want to like this show. Speaking of Lyman... And his gang, um, they're definitely some of the best, like, weekly monster designs that the show has put before us. Yeah. Like, they're all very distinct and different enough to stand alone in their own episodes, but they've got this food-animal combination theme that makes them really cohesive. Yeah, and it's so good between them, and so weird. Like, I didn't think I'd, I'd actually like them at all. Or if I did, I didn't think I'd like them, you know, an episode later, after I'd had a chance to think about it. But honestly, they're so nice. Lyman particularly. I think a lot of it, like, his proportions are weird and makes him look really lean. 
and I just, I really, I love it. They've just all got this really great attitude, like, you know, Dograña walks in with his, with his, his left and his right, and Lima's just in his chair, and Giwi and Ushibarak have taken Destra and Gaush's spots. Like, their cockiness is really fun. Like, we've had some guys who were cocky, but never to, like, this extent. Like, Lyman doesn't just want the boss's spot and thinks, like, oh, I'm strong, I deserve it. He's like, oh, no, I'm, I've am i already won. I mean, look, not for nothing, and we know he's gonna get got pretty quick here, but that is a great way to introduce him and, after a fashion, get me on his side. You know, in as much as you get on the villain's side, especially one you know who is definitely going to die before too very long. But he just walks in to the to the king mob boss who basically shrugged and made an entire rock quarry explode and it's just like oh this dude's brave he's cocky and i don't know if he's also stupid but he's at least got he's got the stones to just walk up to a mob boss and be like sup drinking your beer i'm drinking your milkshake i made a beer shake here we go i don't even know where i'm going there Anyway, I love those guys. I also love just how completely done Toma is with Noel, just right <laughs> from the start of this episode. Like, we, we cut to Jer, and he's like, oh, this food is so good. He's like, yeah, I know I'm good. Shut up. <laughs> like, you're, that's, not gonna, that's not gonna make me like you. I know I'm great. Like, his distrust not only builds on the fact that Noel plays for both sides, but also the previous episode where Noel put Umika in danger. Like, Toma, he's willing to tolerate Noel being there because he kind of has to, but he doesn't have to be nice about it. And he's not planning to be won over so easily. It's so good, too. Like, on top of everything else, it's it's Toma's actor just selling how completely done he is with Noel every single scene. Honestly, I just really enjoyed how the more overtly and aggressively charming Noel tries to be to him, the more, like, you can just see Toma just like, I'm going to drop kick you. I'm just going to find a large enough thing to drop kick you into. I haven't found something sufficiently terrible yet, but oh, I'm thinking about it. Like, he's just staring daggers. It's great. I mean, like, that's definitely the kind of guy Toma is. He... If you try and play up that charm and play up the mask, Toma's not here for that. He's not going to fall for it. And it's not until Noel is sincere with him that he's like, mm, okay, let's see what we can do. Though I do love that Toma agrees to be bait on the condition that he gets the collection piece when Noel is like, hey, Toma the chef, you want to do some chef things? Maybe want to do a chef thing for once? Like, Toma's got his soft spot. He knows what he's about. Look, again, game recognized game, and I am reliably assured that, again, I've, I've been reliably assured that that's a thing someone said at some point. But it's just, Noel, Noel's an artist, and he un and he recognizes that in Toma. On that much, they can agree, and I just, I still love that. That just sort of, like, your art is not my art, but you take it seriously. And you understand that I take mine seriously. Therefore, I will go with this completely inane plan. Also, I will drop kick you into the sun. So the Pot Rangers essentially play kind of a bit part in this episode, relegated to this kind of gag scene about how none of them can cook. But man, it's a really good gag. It really is. Like, we don't see them fumbling around the kitchen, and we're not even outright told their food is 
bad. We just see that when we see the food. We're just told that they're obviously amateurs. And the camera shifts from the wide shot of them being chefs presenting their food up to the food, which again, looks not great and is very clearly made with like convenience store instant meal stuff. Yep. And like, aside from it being a good joke, it's just really great visual storytelling. Like, that's it's a it's a, the epitome of show don't tell. Mm -hmm. They and were obviously amateurs, and then they just show us why is it so obvious that they're amateurs? Because that's some pot noodle right there. We all know what that looks like. And it's like, oh, okay, well that explains it. It's just a really cute way, also, to tell us where the pot rangers are in this episode that they're not gonna be in because it would be too crowded yeah it really would like there's no there's no reason for any of them to be in this episode and okay like i kind of have regret saying this that right there points to the narrative utility of our extra hero this time around like in episodes where it would be too crowded to have the other you know entire sentai come in and have interactions you can just have this one dude who might not completely represent the other team, but who at least keeps their presence alive in the show just by virtue of his gimmick. Like, for all the complaints I've had about the series overall, like, and, and some sidelong looks at some of Kimura's output generally, I will say this for her. She's an expert at making individual episodes sing. Maybe not every one of them, but boy, when they sing, <laughs> it's, it's hot fire, man. I guess that's why she had to step away for a little and let the, the fill-in people do it. Wish they would have had Arakawa do just an arc instead of some of those other ones that happened. But let's let's not think about that. Also, the, the bit where Noelle compliments Toma's cooking and teaching, uh, even though Toma's just like, nah, I'm just trying to be good bait. And Noelle just kind of gives him that look like, nah, man, I know you enjoyed this. You're having, you're having fun being out here with me today. Oh, he was like, too. That was real cute. It was, it was. I just, I feel bad for Noel in one regard in this scene, which is that Toma is one of the four dudes on this show who would just in no way be interested. And most of the other, and most of that other four dudes, they're just background characters. Like, Noel is a charming dude, but it's just like, nah, this is not the dude. <laughs> this is not the dude it'll work on, bro. Though I do really love how well Noel adapts to the people around him. Because he doesn't, he tries to put on the charm, but he doesn't try and force Toma into, like, being his friend, kind of the way he does with everyone else who would be more receptive to that. He wants Toma to trust him, and he's just like, okay, he takes being a chef really seriously, and even if Noel doesn't know the reason why... And it's honestly kind of nicer that he doesn't because there's less chance of accidentally making it read like, or intentionally making it read, I don't know, but either way, uh, making it read like some kind of emotional manipulation based around, you need to do this because you love Aya. Yeah, which would be, like, that's, look, I like a scumbag character. That's, that would be a scumbag too far. Accidental or on purpose. So, but, no, I was like, here, you see, the cooking is this thing to you, the collection is that thing to me. Oh, and so he gets real sincere about it. Like, I, and Toma responds to that sincerity. Because as seriously as Toma takes being a chef, that's what 
the collection means to Noelle, and no matter what either of their reasons are. And then, you know, they decide to double down on that with the montage of Noelle fixing the Versus vehicle while Toma's in the cooking contest. And, you know, keeps thinking on Noelle's sincerity and is like, we're both professionals, this is how we gotta get it done. Like, it's a little cheesy, but it plays really well. And, you know, this is aimed at nine-year-olds. Yeah, exactly. Though, again, I just game recognize game. Like, I love that that was how he got through. It's again. It might not even be a trust, but it's. I trust that you. I trust that you take this seriously. So we're good for now. I love Just Toma. The, the facial expressions when Toma hands over the VS vehicle to Noel, the versus vehicle to Noel, and Noel's kind of acceptance of the weight of Toma's trust, and then you know later, like Toma's begrudging little smile as he tries not to let it slip that he thinks you know maybe Noel's okay after all, and then you know the the bit after the contest where Toma gives Noel a look and says you know of. Oh, it, it took you so long. The contest is already over. Oh, did you win? Of course I won. I'm a professional. Like, Ahama Shogo and Motoki Seiya are dang good actors, and they had some really good chemistry in this episode. They really did. It was it was a joy to watch. Though, uh, just to get, like, I like that you brought up the way Noel sort of is able to, to chameleon himself a little, you know, adapt him is is let it let me befriend everyone to the task at hand sort so to speak because all i can think is yeah that is definitely a skill you would learn if you worked in the home of arsene lupin like yeah of course you get good at this stuff if you train under the master thief of course so i had my suspicions that this episode kind of happened because of the pot the current popularity of food wars and that bit at the end of the, the cooking contest where Lyman and Giwi kind of drop their forks and go pretty much full muttly with the visual effects about how good the food was, that kind of confirmed it for me. Yeah. I feel like they were definitely like, hey, kids, you like watching Food Wars? Well, you know, you, you gotta get them where you can. I mean, why did why'd they make Magi Ranger? Because Harry Potter was popular. At least that's... Though I, I will say, like, I haven't seen Food Wars, but I was I was mostly, like, getting the reference as, uh, like, Yakitate Japan. But, if, like, because they also did... They had this one judge who would go, like, super extreme with his reactions to some of the bread. And, look, if Food Wars got that same kind of thing, I, I, I might have to try it out. Yeah, like, in, in Food Wars, it's kind of a running gag that's gotten more and more exaggerated as the show has progressed. And... Very early in the show, it's kind of creepy, because often, this is, much earlier in the show, it's more prominent, and now it's kind of evolved into a different joke, but, like, it's very euphoric, is the PG way of putting it, I guess? That's, yeah, that's very nice, yeah. But as the show progresses, it gets kind of more ridiculous, and they definitely, like, they immediately also start doing it with guys. It eventually gets more and more exaggerated to the point where um, that's not even so much the point of the gag, where it's and uh, it's mostly just like, oh, it's and it's kind of uh, words. I'm stumbling a lot on words. Look, but, uh, all I know it's... is that there was an episode of Yakitate Japan where the judge eats a bit of bread, dies, goes to heaven, and then is brought back to life by the bread. 
Yeah, that's that's kind of what the gag evolves into very quickly. I mean, look, um, it's a good gag. Like it, it's very much that sort of thing, but it's all like, oh, this is this is a visualization of how this person feels, except for a certain few characters, primarily this really old man who runs the school, where if he really likes the food, his shirt will just burst off into shreds, and he's totally ripped. <laughs> That's a pretty good joke, though. So, I mean, like, I I very much enjoy Food Wars. I think it's very good. But I do acknowledge that early on in the show, that gag is a little sketchy. I will keep that in mind. Also, when I started watching it, when it was put in front of me, we just skipped episode one, and I was told that's the way to go. Didn't really feel like I missed anything. So, might also want to keep that in mind. You know, honestly, there's a lot of shows where... Like, nah, just skip episode one, because a lot of times they'll just spend so much nonsense just like, hey, let's get the whole gang together. It's like, guys, come on, we don't need to do that. Oh, they don't even do that until episode two. Oh, yeah. It, like, I don't I don't know what the contents of episode one are, but... Yeah, well, it sounds like nonsense. I skipped it and it was fine, so... Good to know. But uh, getting, getting back to Lupot, it's really cute that... Uh, Ushibarak has such a crush on Lyman that he learned to cook so he could cook for him, and then goes around showing Lyman how much better he is than every other cook, so that Lyman will like him. That's the cutest. Yeah, it really is. And it, it also kind of makes the whole plan that much more like a supervillain plan to me, which gets it just, I'm, I'm a-okay with that. Because it's not enough that he just, like, has them show up, and then he just wrecks them in their chosen field. Dude also likes to make those folks up and disappear. I Am I misremembering that it's like, oh yeah, if you fail, you die, or something like that? I'm pretty sure it was like, you die either way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they are, they are like, gangster supervillains, that's how they do. Because he was definitely like, oh, you cooked better than me, and Lyman likes you better than me? Yeah, I'm gonna kill you. Yeah, okay, and, and sort of like, on that whole, like, just on the food competition level, I do want to say that while Ushibarak's food did look tasty, because, like, look, I like me a, just a big old pile of meat. That's that's a good idea. They The show does kind of go out of its way to illustrate that what differentiates Ushibarak from a real pro like Toma is that Toma, in the midst of a, of a cooking contest for his life took the extra time to consider the presentation of his dish. Because a professional will know it's not just enough to make a stack of tasty meat. You must make it a feast for all the senses. The presentation should be good. The layout. You must consider the the structure of the courses. Like, Toma did that. And Ushibaraka was just like, here's some more slabs of stuff. I mean, also, he microwaved a huge five-pound chunk of meat, which, frankly, is kind of gross. Yeah, no, yeah. Like, there was a part of me that expect, like, after he, after he explains, like, yes, I used these, my amazing powers to shoot microwaves into the thing to heat it up. And I'm like, I just kept expecting Toma to just, like, all right, well, then I've already won. What? Dude, you microwave your food. You are just you are microwaving your food, calling it hot cuisine, and then serving it to your friends. Like, like you're like a you're like a lazy bachelor who thinks he's Gordon Ramsay. Step up your game, bro. Like, I just I wanted that because 
again, like, it's microwaves. Like, they couldn't just say, oh, he has heat powers, so he can just, like, telekinetically cook a thing with his mind. You, had to, you specifically said microwave, guys. <laughs> That's... That, like, unless there are some very specific kinds of microwaves that are not associated with the microwaves that you have in your microwave oven to cook things. They're not. They're the same thing. Yeah, I was thinking, because, like, I feel like they would have said something if they were. Just, nah, dude, nah. Like, at least just say, like, I cook them with lasers or heat beams. Just, no, microwaves, then you just microwave your food. You are bad at your job. Tomish just, like, just, honestly, I just wanted a bit where Tomish just, like, just stops the cooking competition, just, like, walks up to the to the two putative judges and, like, this dude just microwaves your food. His superpower is he has a $50 microwave in his hand. Do you guys like microwave food? I can get you, like, uh, uh, just a TV dinner. Is that what you think good food is? That's what this dude's been giving you this whole time. I mean, the irony of that is, like, he that's what the Pot Rangers did. Yes. Actually, yeah. Good call. Bringing it back around. We're good at this. Yeah, yeah. We know yeah, what we're doing. Yeah. I, I, I honestly, I Sono, totally didn't realize that just now. Yeah, so like, high five, like, over the internet. Like, I'm glad that this is not a video podcast, so people can't see me, like, just raise my hand and, like, slap at nothing like a jackass. <laughs> but, yeah, no, that's good, because that is, that is the perfect, that is the, the closing the circle between all these obvious, oh, of course, he's an obvious amateur. And he's going up against the professional, just like they were obvious amateurs, trying to teach like professionals. The whole thing is about the difference between someone who who knows what they're doing and the person who does it. It's the Dunning-Kruger effect, Sono. Ushiba Rock was so, like, it. the, the Dunning-Kruger effect is when you don't know enough about a thing to know how good or bad you are at that thing, so you assume you're good at it. Like, that's... That's what it was. He doesn't know enough about cooking to know how bad he is at cooking. I mean, no wonder they, the other two reacted so strongly when people just eat Toma's food and it's fine. Like, they've they've been eating microwave five-pound chunks of meat their whole lives. Yeah, these poor guys. And and again, that's maybe that's why they spent... Well, not even maybe. I think that's why they spent so much of the episode just being like, no, you're going to do this. Because you're a professional. Why did I win this? Because I'm a professional. And that dude, not like, he's, to put it in terms of other uh, art forms, he's the guy who, like, learns the tabs to Wonderwall, and, like, I'm not saying that if you only know the tabs to Wonderwall, you aren't a musician, but, like, you're not going to be a professional musician just knowing the tabs to Wonderwall. Uh, if, if you, like, if you're like me, and when you try to draw people, you just do the same, like, three-quarter stiff stance. And, like, you haven't appreciably moved beyond, like, well, this is the shape that is nose. Or, this is the shape that is eyes, as opposed to, okay, well, this is how, like, I, like when you watch streams of people who are actual artists and understand, like, how bodies work and stuff, and you're like, oh, wow, look at them using all these techniques. Like, they use the, the sketchy circles and suddenly it makes sense because that's how they create the relation between the rest of the body and it's why i have no sense of proportion when i draw i'm very bad actually and so on and so forth in in various other forms of art but yeah it was really an episode just about a professional i hope in my in my petty petty heart that this is kimura junko just like 
like, while the episode is airing, she's just, like, looking at one dude across the, like, across the table, like a producer or something, and, and he doesn't even know enough to know that she hates him. And, but he's like, he's like, no, but this thing has to happen or it's not a story. And this is just her, like, you don't know what art is. Dude, don't come into my house. Like, that's... I would love to believe this is just Komura taking a swing at someone somewhere in her life. Yeah, well, it's it's like that episode of Tokyuger where there, there's, like, the movie maker, and he's gonna make, like, the dark, terrible world movie, and and a lot of people are just like, okay, is this her, like, reacting to Kamen Rider Gaim? Because Kamen Rider Gaim was basically, hey, what's up, Yasuko Kobayashi? I saw that thing you made, so I've made that thing you made, but worse, and with my face on it. And she's just like, right, here's my here's my one episode response to that. No. Honestly, I just, there's a, a terrible part of me that hopes half to, like, like, at least a quarter of any given Sentai series is just the writer taking pot shots at people. Like, in a really petty, super specific way that only that other person would recognize. But it's just like, yeah, dude, I used a TV show to tell you how much I really don't respect the quality of your craftsmanship. A whole episode of TV, they made a monster. They made a monster. They voiced it. A guy got in that suit and he acted it. And then that guy got blown up after getting murdered to death by a giant robot, just so I could tell you, I don't think you take your work seriously enough. That is... Anyway, we should move on to 24. I'm just going to keep this this locked away in my, like, writer head canon because I like my tokusatsu writer head canon. And that's writer with a T. Okay, so... Speaking of... of Save me, Sono, please. Taking, taking art... Speaking of taking art seriously, I love the terrible drawings Noelle did of Gui and Lamin. <laughs> yes! And how he's just like, yes! These are perfect realistic likenesses of them. I don't know why you can't find them. Kamara can write a good joke when she really wants to. Yeah, yeah. And and like you were saying earlier, the, the kid playing Noelle, I'm not always... I'm at the point now where it's like, okay, I guess the bit where he's kind of weird and off-putting that's supposed to be there because in that moment I loved him and I believed it totally. Also, I, I like that there's a thing, like, I think we had one earlier, but here's the second one. Hey, here's a thing that we know Noel can't do as well as he does his thieving, policing, and engineering. And I just, especially after President Hot Wings, who was the best at everything ever, it's nice to just have the, the extra guy just be like, nah, actually, there's just things he's bad at. Even as he's cocky as hell, he's just not good at, at yeah, drawing. No, he actually, in fact, seems to be bad at most things. Well, he, you know, all those things are not related to thieving or working on the collection. So those things are pretty immaterial. Though I bet we find out eventually he's a master of disguise, just like uh, Kogame. Well, of course. Oh, Kogure. I mean, like, Sorry. Kogure. Kogami is a different guy. Yeah, it's a very different guy. I, I do appreciate how hard Kairi tries to bail on the entire situation once the pot rangers show up and raid the club. Like, especially once Tsukasa pulls him outside, he's he's like, okay, thanks, bye, and rolls his eyes as Tsukasa, like, keeps trying to engage with him. Asahi Ito is a- is dang good at playing, like, a dumb teenage punk who's, like, 
just enough of a bad boy to be kind of obnoxious, but not quite enough of a bad boy to be, like, the bad boy. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really good, and that whole bit was so much fun. And it does make you think that besides Pat Rangers, uh, and before he became a Lupin Ranger, dude has had a lot of run-ins with cops and other authority figures. I mean, like his brother, and just does not have time for him. And probably did pretty similar things that he did to his brother, you know, shove them into the garbage, whereupon a box of roses just immediately falls off. Who threw out a box of rose petals? I like, maybe, like, a wedding just wrapped up? They're not even in a garbage bag, though. They're in a box. Oh, no, I have the saddest headcanon now. Oh, no. Oh, no, what is it? Oh, no, what is it? There were, like, someone was going to propose to his girlfriend... And he, like, he was gonna, like, just sneak those in and just, like, run ahead, like, like just run ahead or behind, or, just, like, hold the box behind him and just so slowly pour out the rose petals. And then, like, he's gonna turn around and she's gonna look at them and, like, gasp. And then he'll drop to one knee and propose. And Kyrie wrecked that because <laughs> he threw his brother into the trash. That's Aleph's sad headcanon corner, everybody. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm gonna believe that everything there was rose petals and they were just cleaning out Castle Doran. Oh, well that, you know, that makes just as much sense. Like, that's, uh... Just, you know, that whole freaking room of rose petals that they have in there. What? So that Wanderer can take a nap sometimes. Oh, man, like, the, the, the servants, they, like, they've come out of the mirror and they're just like, I, I don't, like, just buy them in bulk. Alright, and then he, like, put it, he just put the box down... Well, because he's just got a bunch of groceries going back to Castle Doran, and he just forgot that box. I mean, I'll just come back for later, it's fine. Then he just, he gets there, and, like, all the rose petals are, they got thrown on the ground! And now they're covered with, like, ice crystals and junk, and he's just like, oh, fine. And he just, like, drops down and starts putting them all back in the box one at a time. Uh, Jiro deserves that. Yeah, yeah, he's terrible. <laughs> just... Jiro deserves that. Yeah. And way worse. He's a very bad werewolf man. So I'm actually kind of glad we called back to when the Pot Rangers looked up information on the Jurer kids. Because Tsukasa kind of knows things that she shouldn't and let that slip in her attempts to relate to Kairi. And she's got to apologize for it. And she does. She doesn't even hesitate. Like, even if it was for a police investigation, you know, a little bit rude. And she's willing to own up to that. Yeah, and it was such a good moment. Because on top of being that callback, it, it just, it lays the groundwork for something that, that's got to come in later on. And then also brings us back to how the cops are good at their jobs. Because, I, 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 words, I like that this is the thing that makes us remember, oh right, they suspect you. They can't prove it, but they suspect you. And now the Lupins know that they have been suspected, or rather still are suspected, because I think, yeah, because they knew they were suspected before. But anyway, it's just, you know, uh, these cops are good at their jobs, and it's just that they have other literally larger things that they're dealing with besides three phantom thieves. Well, three, three and a half. Because, you know, there's, there is, there's still these gangsters trying to wipe out the human race and uh, priorities, you know? I know he's the villain... And he's murdering people, which is bad. That's that's a bad thing. But I'm like sort of with, with Gui. <laughs> I'm sort of with Gui on the sentiment of there's too many gross people on this earth. Let's replace them with cool plants. 
I mean, look, who hasn't had that thought at least once in their life, right? I mean, it's it's fair. If you hang around humans long enough, there's there's going to be a part of you where it's like, maybe it'd be better if there just weren't any. Or, I don't or... know. He was in that dirty club with people who want to hang out in a dirty club. Yeah. Like, I get it. Yeah. All of these people would be much better if they were plants. Also, like, I will say, it shows that he's got a plan for Earth that goes beyond just kill all the people on it and take it over so I can be the boss. It's, he has a vision for what he wants Earth to be like. That's, that's, honestly, it's a shame he died, because that dude's got moxie. He's got plans. Like, the Grongi would love that dude. He just drops in with, alright, here's my thesis proposal. You know, don't even listen to these other guys. Here's what I got. I'm gonna kill all the people and turn at, well, no, it's probably not all of them. I'm gonna kill most of the people and they'll turn into plants after getting their heart's desire in front of everyone they love. So they'll be at their happiest and then their friends will watch them just turn pale with horror as they start to turn into plants. And then their and then their loved ones will watch their best friend get their heart broken and then die. I mean, that is as far as evil plans go. That is that is twisted, man. That is he could dark. definitely roll with a lot of rider villains. Yeah, dude. Yeah, like that's a that's a very post-decayed Heisei Rider plan. Yeah, yeah. Or even pre-decayed Heisei. Like, that's that's a Grongi plan. That's an Imogen plan. Oh god, yes. That's a Greed plan. Yeah, yeah. All those dudes. Like, Giri could just roll with them. He's a, The reason he's dead is he's in the wrong show. He would have been a mid-boss in a Rider series. Oh, yeah. I mean... Admittingly, he probably wouldn't have I mean, the same motif to, going on. Honestly, he would have been... A... To, be, to be fair, that was the entire plan in Gaim. Yeah, actually, yeah. And he would he would fit in so well in Gaim. He's a fruit. Like, he is... He is! He's a kiwi. Plague well, doctor. Did, someone, had, someone had kiwis, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, well, that... Who had kiwis? Yeah. I think that well, was I... one of... Uh, uh, Mitchie's transformation. Of course it was. Yeah. He was evil. Yep. See? He was the grossest human being alive. Yep. Basically. Pretty much. He should have been a plant. Yeah. Everything comes oh. together. Oh my goodness. Kiwi is what he would turn into if he got an overlord form. Oh god it is. <laughs> that Lordy. That yes. It all comes together. Yep, yep, yep. He's, that's what we do here. Look, we we've been on the show long enough. We've watched enough stuff between us. We're gonna we make the callbacks, dear listener. I'm I'd apologize, but I'm not actually sorry because it's kind of what we do. Look, uh, uh, honestly, this is maybe the nicest thing we've ever said about Gaim. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the like the neck the closest nice thing was just like, okay, so is it is just asking the question: Is it better or worse than Drive? <laughs> Like, and that you know just, your mileage may vary. Just, just the just asking the question, I think, was a very nice thing to do with Gaim, especially after the send off that it was given by well that that I helped give it. I wasn't around for that, yeah, so it, I don't know how that went. But we like it involved it involved Amit like figuring out how to blur out censorship, you know, just just cut out 
swear words so that I could swear at the opening. Like, it it was that kind of send-off. Oh, that's that's fair. And I mean, like, to me, Gaim is worse than Drive. That's, look, that's but fair. Gaim also is very personal in I mean, the ways it hurt me and stuff that was going on in my life at the time. I mean, look, it, like, I've never got details from you, and I won't ask. That's that's not for here or now, and that's none of my business. But, like, when you were just talking about, like, oh yeah, and Mitchie, and I'm like, that's fair. <laughs> Mitchie is basically the worst. <laughs> he, he really is. And I feel like Drive at least, you know, sometimes tried to have some good things going on. It tried to have some kind of faith in something. But thankfully... It didn't quite get there. I mean, look, at, at least at the end of that one, when when confronted with the author of Everyone's Sorrows in Gaim, it's, Thanks, Satan! Have fun messing up the next world full of people! Whereas in Drive, it's, Alright, Krim, get in the hole. Take all your stuff and get in that hole. You live there now. Not up here with the people. No, no, no. You get in that hole and you stay there. You go in the hole. And he never stays there, because they keep bringing him back. No. They keep just letting him out of the hole. No. Like, no, he lives there now. Don't let him out. That's where he goes. I do feel bad that the cars had to go in the hole, though. Yeah. Yeah. But at least I, I, can, I can rest easy knowing that they're harassing Krim in the hole for the rest of eternity. They're, they're gonna Cerberus this. I like that. Honestly, that would be a great thing for, I don't know if any of the Drive Future movie did this, but if they're going to have the Drive Future movie, yeah, have the kid go into the hole, and like, he fights some sort of weird combined form of all the shift cars, and it's Cerberus. Like, that'd be great. Okay. So back back to Lupot. Yes, yes. Back um, to Lupot, which is a good show that we like. And we're, we're talking about stuff we enjoy. Um, as much as I'm iffy on the way, on the information presented in the flashback, the sentiment behind it is very sweet. And what Tsukasa is trying to do in order to relate to Kairi is very sweet. Because she doesn't know what happened to his brother. She thinks that he's still around. Uh, I actually, we went back and checked the episode where they they look into the three of them, and she doesn't know what happened to his brother. They think that Aya left Toma. I think they know that, like, a bunch of those school, like, high school girls disappeared, but I don't know if they know it's gangler-related, but they don't know anything happened to Kyrie's brother. And she's like, hey, I have this weird relationship with my family. I get that you've got this weird relationship with your family, but you're young and you can still work it out. Also, this this puts her in the same camp as, as Keichiro of good, good-hearted police people who are like, hey, what's up, troubled youth? I would like to keep you from straying off the path of righteousness, because... Admittingly, Keichiros was more like, hey man, are you okay? You're not going to do something stupid, are you? Don't, don't like, subtextually, hey, I'm worried you're going to throw yourself off this bridge into traffic. But And she's doing the, hey, you're kind of a, of a crappy youth. I understand why you would be a crappy youth. Please allow me to help. It's, I like, it takes so much to get me on the side of the police. So, no, I don't. But man, the show is doing yeah, it. Yeah, like. I, like, I'll even watch some police procedurals. I'll even hate half the main cast. But, like, this one, except for Sakuya, who honestly, like, if they just 
make him stay away long enough and keep writing him like they did in his last Focus episode appearance, he could, he could turn out to be tolerable. I love all his these... problem isn't even really that he's a police officer. It's just that he's really bad around women. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like these are these are these are some good police officers, and it's weird that that happens. Anyway, I'm sorry, I, I kind of hijacked your point there. But it's it's just. The way that Tsukasa approaches this is really sweet, and Kairi and Tsukasa are kind of the last characters I expected to have this kind of common ground, mm. and and to really have an episode where they come together, and it's a nice surprise and a really sweet scene that does a lot to humanize Tsukasa and build common ground for the two teams beyond just the kind of designated pairs of the two reds, the two girls, and those leftover guys. Man, I'm just trying to imagine the focus episode that is about Sakuya and Toma learning to get along. I would, <laughs> and, I, I would really love an episode that's Toma just being like, dude, stop. Yeah, look, no, you- Like, I have a, like, I have a wife. No, so clearly- You did this. I'm... I followed you around that one time when you were- when you were followed around by all those high school girls, that that wasn't me. It, yeah, it was, dude. I got a good look at you. That's that's false. No, oh, but it's just, that would it, be funny. Like again, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be me, and this is how I'm gonna do it. Every time something is about Sukasa, it brings me back to the Bokenger episode uh, with Sakura and Eiji. Mm. where you know they kind of relate over. They've both got these weird relationships to their dads. And there's stuff they've got to live up to, but they really don't want to. And they're just trying to find their their place in the world. But, you know, and then there's the bit of Tsukasa and Kairi both figuring out how to hit Gui at the same time. And, like, Tsukasa hesitates because she, she doesn't want to risk dying. And Kairi just goes for it. And it's a really nice way to build on all of the sentiments that this episode is is putting on them and this the things it wants to say about them because Tsukasa is afraid to risk herself because coming back alive is the only way she can have the peaceful life she wants with her family and she if she does this she doesn't know if she'll come back alive but for Kairi he's got nothing to lose if he isn't willing to risk everything there's no way of getting his brother back which means he can't have that peaceful life so he's got to be willing to do the thing where maybe he won't come back alive. Because if he doesn't, he's not going to get what he wants. It does this really great job of not only showing that even if Kairi and Tsukasa have this common emotion, they have no real choice but to take radically different paths to get there. And Tsukasa realizes that in that moment where she's like, it's not that Lupin Red doesn't know how to stop. It's that he can't stop. And even if she can't yet make the leap from Kyrie to Lupin Red being the same person, I think she kind of understands that they're both that same way. Yeah, absolutely. And it also does a really good job of showing the differences between the two teams as it's not about good or bad, or to put it in D&D terms, I found the way. It's not about good or evil. It's about lawful and chaotic, because it's it's more about the resources they have behind them. Uh, the Pat Rangers have this massive legal infrastructure behind them, so they can so that their thing can be a job. It is okay. 
we show up nine to five, what a way to make a living, and then they get paid and they can go home. Whereas the Lupins, they just have each other. They they don't have, like, they have Kugure, but he's not support staff in the same way that, say, uh, Hilltop is, you know? Hilltop rolls out and it's just like, all right, well, if you're really serious about this, here's your badge and gun let's go do this, or, or sometimes he gets attacked by the gangler, and it's it's a thing. But the Lupins, no, nah, it's just the three of them, and also, I guess, Noel now. It's 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 really good, and it's a great moment. And it's a great moment of suit acting, and direction, and voice work, because she's wearing her helmet when she's having this realization, dude. <laughs> but at the same time, in my head, I remember it, like, no, she's having that realization. I can almost see the look on her face, even though in my head... It's the helmet. The helmet doesn't have a look, and yet it does, much like Momotaro, uh, Momotaros, sorry, in uh, Deno, because just one, it's just one mask, so it's just one helmet. It can't emote, except it does. Okay, and, and by the way, speaking of that moment, um, that whole fight was great, and that moment where Kairi just, well, Lupin Red, you know, same thing, but still, uh, just rolls up on uh, Patsy... Uh, let's see, Ichigo, Ichigo Pat Songo, Songo, thank you, took me a sec, and just picks the po- picks the pendant out of her pocket, throws it on, wrecks Giwi with the absolute complete knowledge that, yes, he is going to be turned into a plant. We have seen Kairi have this understanding throughout the episode, and like, okay, well, I'm gonna die for this thing, here we go. Because it's cool that you see Tsukasa understand, oh wow, he this is what he has to do to get what he wants. That's really intense. It's also really intense just to just be like, well, this is what I have to do to get it what I want. Here is my flashy plan, because part two of the plan is I'm going to turn into a plant. I'm going to start to die. I can count on my friends to bail me out because they're that good. Like, that is... I, I go so hard for that kind of plan, Sono. That is so good. I love a... I'm just going to throw myself into the devil's mouth and hope it works. That's that's a it's a flippin' sick plan. I support it so hard. Kyrie is about getting it done. Mm-hmm. He's gonna make it happen, and he trusts his friends to make sure it doesn't kill him. <laughs> which, quite frankly, seems very much the spirit of Lupin. Yeah, yeah, no, because uh, again, Lupin the Third, that dude just like, hey, what's up? I got a plan. No, you don't. You have a goal. Same thing. He just runs in, then Jigen, or or. Uh, Goemon just show up to save him, and then when he gets to the treasure, Fuchiko already has, and it's like, what took you so long? Bye. Because <laughs> she's... Uh, one thing I'm going to have to actually read some of the Lupin books, because, I don't know, like, just seeing what where they took the inspiration for Lupin the Third. That sounds fun. Also because, uh, apparently in the movie, I don't know if you saw the trailer for the movie that they had, or special, or whatever it is, for uh, uh, Pat Ranger. Oh, can I spoil just a little thing from the trailer? Well, because in the in the books, I do know that uh, he won. Oh no, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I know exactly what you're about to bring up. Yeah, in the well, yeah, because when when in the great tradition of Arcee and Lupin, who like they couldn't call Lupin the Third Lupin the Third outside of Japan for a long time because Arcee and Lupin was still not in the public domain and Japan just didn't care at the time about other countries' copyright laws. But Arsene Lupin uh, borrowed Sherlock Holmes because he just thought he wanted to have the thing where the great detective would team up with the great thief. 
But when he asked for permission, they said no, and he said, well, fine, this guy is going to be called Herlock Sholmes, and he's going to just talk about how this is one of my many cover identities, because that's a thing you've done in your books. So I made him have a team-up. I made Sherlock Holmes have a team-up with R.C. Lupin. My self-insert fan fiction is law! And they're bringing Herlock Sholmes into the movie. And that's beautiful. It is, it is, it is in fact the movie. That is a thing I'm aware of. And that's so good. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's... Honestly, I'm so fascinated just at the thought that uh, these, these, like, 19th century pulp novels from France are big enough in Japan to have inspired this much stuff, you know? Yeah. It's it's like like finding out that uh Dumas uh The Count of Monte Cristo, like apparently was oh, yeah. a massive seller in Japan when it first came out, or at least when it was first released in Japan. Side recommendation, have y'all seen Gankutsuo? Uh, I have always meant to get around to it. A friend of mine loves Count of Monte Cristo and has recommended it and i've just never quite gotten there it if nothing else it is a feast for the eyes it is weird that i do know weird sci-fi kind of take on on count of monte cristo it's worth everyone's time it's such a good story i need to actually read the book i've just seen adaptations i am i am such a plebeian with the classics of adventure fiction i should fix that i should just like dumas and whoever it was that, that wrote all the, the Lupin books. Like, I usually just go on a spree. Probably won't, though. I know myself. Anyway, uh, moving on. Just very... These were good episodes. We had a lot of fun digressions. Sono, could you tell us about the Lupin collection, since we're talking so much Lupin? 23 was Ushibarak's collection piece, which was a bracelet that seems to be a much larger version of the Denji Ring from... Denji Man, which is the transformation device, and it still's kind of got their their D logo on it, uh, except now it's green because all the Lupin collection is green for some reason. I'm thinking a lot of that has to do with our boy Noel. Maybe he just likes green on top of silver and gold. Well, I mean, these are ones that he hasn't uh, changed. Oh, yet. that's true. Yeah. So I don't know. Some something about the Gangler. They just like green. Um, Twenty four brings us back into something from modern Sentai that I recognized very quickly, uh, that I, I pointed at it and was like, that's Akira's, uh, and it's modeled off of the Guidance Breaker from <gasps> Tokyo, which was his, uh, sorty, sorty thing. Oh, I feel so dumb now. I must douse myself in water and repent. Uh, I thought it looked familiar, but, uh, I did not make the connection. Oh, I am so ashamed. I am so ashamed. Well, thank you for- Even some of the modern ones I don't quite recognize immediately, but that one I'm like, nope, that's- Yeah. That's my boy's fight stick. I'm, I'm betting, like, I, I'm just gonna blame it on it just being so much smaller. I bet that- I, I really hope that that's actually, like, one of the toys. Not like one of the models, like the hero models they have at, at Toei Central, but like, no, we just went out, bought- one of them from the clearance bin because it's that's a few centimeters ago. Green. I mean, I'm still waiting. Y'all know when the Bokenger one shows up because there is one. Yep, I, I did finally find it in the opening. I felt very nice. It's, it still has it's the logo very on clearly. it. Clearly, <laughs> yeah, no, a lot of them still have their logos on it, which is interesting. Well, you know, I appreciate it. it's a nice way to sort of do the callback to the Gokaiger thing. So, um, 
having having done all that, I guess all that's left now is just to uh, look forward and see if we can figure out what this show has in store for us in the future. And for my own part, I, I got I got no idea. This show is weird. I love it, but I have no idea where it's going. Uh, other than like next episode, I saw I saw the preview, and that's uh, some stuff is happening a little sooner than I than I was expecting, and I am here for it. I'm hype in that it seems to be happening by way of it being a good striker episode yeah. again. Because I'm all here for goody episodes. Okay, so you did see the preview? Yes. His crown, Sono. He has a crown. I love, I love his little crown. He loves his hats. Let him wear more hats. He's such a good boy. He is. I assume that now it's going to be like Kaiser O or something, yeah. which is why he would get a crown. Oh, uh, yeah. I just, I, I um, keep hoping. That's, that's my assumption. I just... I, I do not know that for certain. I assume people who see toy scans and magazines and stuff know the answer to that. But don't tell us. We're having fun in our ignorance. I'm... I mean, this will definitely be out. By the time this is out, we'll definitely already know. So... That's true. That's very true. But still, I just, um... I just keep hoping that this is where we meet Goody Striker's alter ego, Gooder Striker, or Best Striker... Goodest striker. Goodest striker would be even yes, that would be the goodest answer. The best of all possible boys. Yeah, just he's he's just a big he's just a big growing boy. I'm so proud of him. So any any final thoughts before we close out this episode of Laser Knees? Uh, no, just good episodes. All of all of our negative stuff seemed to mostly be nitpicky, except that one that one bit. Yeah, which even then, and even that really didn't. Wasn't a deal breaker for the episode. No, like, and surprisingly, and it, well, I think a lot of it is just because it felt like it was trying to come from a good place, but also this this kind of plot detail requires a lot more nuance than they have time to get to in a twenty-something minute children's adventure series. Which, like, maybe they shouldn't have put it in, but also, hey, more stuff about Tsukasa, and I'm glad to know more about her because she's great. Yeah, I'm definitely here for Sukasa time. Well, since I think that's all we've got this time around for the Toe Network and Laser Knees, I'm Aleph. And I'm Sana. And don't get